John Wayne Schultz, a true American cowboy born in Montana and raised in Carnes County, Texas, between San Antonio and Corpus Christi, has his roots sunk deep in country music. He began performing as a young child at rodeos and local honky-tonks. Inspired by his mother, who was battling breast cancer, he tried out for American Idol in 2010 and made it to the top 40. A true patriot, John Wayne signed up for the U.S. Marines and became a pilot and a flight instructor. In 2016, American Idol came calling again and invited John Wayne to try out, and once again, he made it to the top 40. Sergeant Schultz spent the next 12 months serving overseas in active duty on a year-long deployment. In May 2019, Sergeant Schultz returned home to a hero's welcome and immediately picked up where he left off with his music. like it ain't rained in forever Oh, I'd give anything to see a bit of weather And Grandpa says he's never seen it like this And if you're listening, I'll give you my wish Lord, send the rain Let my tears wet the ground Oh, I'm trying to live the way that I ought to Lord, send down the rain That beautiful water The dust on the dirt So we're here with John Wayne Schultz, and we're going to talk about Beautiful Water. This is a song about H2O. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> which is actually becoming rare on Earth. Uh, it is. Tell us the backstory of Beautiful Water. You know, Beautiful Water is a song that I wrote back in 2009. And it was a song that I wrote about praying for rain. I grew up in a small town in South Texas. And in those small town communities all over the United States, these communities are farming and ranching communities, and they rely upon water. The amount of rain that you have, you know, allows the crops to grow, allows the, the rain to make the hay grow. And you, you have to have that for your livelihood in a lot of these small towns where you're a rancher or a farmer. And so we had a two-year period from 2006, I'm oh, sorry, 2007 to 2009, where we had a two-year drought in Texas the rainfall was just not there. And for two years, farmers' crops didn't didn't grow. The hay didn't grow. So we had to ship hay in from out of state. We had to, farmers had to claim insurance on their crops every year. And so it just got bad to the point to where it was kind of a borderline crisis. And you'd start seeing all of the businesses in town say, please pray for rain. 
And so I was witnessing this happen with these small town communities to where they decided to turn to God and, and to start praying and put a little faith in the fact that we might get a little moisture to help us out. And you know how it is in, in life. I think sometimes you go through hard things to help you be a little more humble and and to help you maybe press forward with a little more faith after an experience. So I was sitting at my house one day and it just began to rain. And I mean, it was pouring rain. It was to the point to where it had rained for so long and such an amount of rain to where that drought was over. That two-year drought without water was was it was done. And I sat there at the house and watched it rain. And I just, I remember how beautiful that was, just looking at that, that water falling from the sky. And I had this idea for a song that I wanted to write called Beautiful Water right there. And so I grabbed my guitar really quick. And in 20 minutes, I sat there watching it rain with my guitar and I wrote the song Beautiful Water. And it just seemed like the lyrics just flowed right into my mind. And the music was like kind of there. And I think sometimes whenever you songwrite, you struggle to come up with uh, maybe some ideas or, or you struggle to come up with lyrics and the music and the melody. But this song was, it's the only song I've ever written where it's just been immediate. And it just came and flowed down on that paper like it, it had already been written. Melody and words? Melody and words. And after 20 minutes, uh, that song was done and, and I was able to sing it to my family and say, Hey, what do you think about this song? I just wrote, you know, and, and really there was only this, that was the second song I've ever written in my life. And I was 20, 21 years old. I hadn't done a lot of songwriting up to that point. It was almost a spiritual thing for me to see that rain come down and the good Lord bless us, you know? And so, uh, that song, Beautiful Water has been one that I've played at some of my shows and, and, um, the people in the community sure were able to relate to it because they understand how important that, that rainfall is. And so Beautiful Water has been a, a song that has always been once been heavily requested by people that come and watch me play. Has it changed over time when you play it live? You know, I think Beautiful Water has changed over time. Uh, I was out in 29 Palms, California with a group of my Marines and we were out in the desert and it was so hot. And all of a sudden we saw this storm cloud come just rolling out of the the Northeast and it was so dark and it and it came and it rained on us in the middle of the desert. I mean, it was 120 something degrees and all of a sudden this storm came and the rain was just sideways. It was almost kind of like Forrest Gump, you know, we had some sideways rain, you know? <laughs> and so we had some sideways rain out there, all of us Marines, and it was blowing so hard that it almost would sting, you know? And we were covered behind anything we could to to try not to get, you know, just completely soaked by this rain. And we were soaked immediately and it blew for an hour. And then all of a sudden it switched directions and it blew another hour, the opposite direction. And the whole time, all the Marines knew my song, Beautiful Water. And the whole time they were just saying, you know, screw you Schultz. Like they're just like, you know, beautiful water. We hate it. You know, and they were like, quit singing the song. And I said, I was inside when I wrote that song. Don't blame me. You know, I was indoors when I wrote that song. I wasn't out in it. So it was just funny because I, I think the song has changed over time as people have been able to relate to it more. And I've been able to put more emotion into the song. This is the first song I was ever able to watch people actually relate to and be able to say that song has really touched me in, in a certain way. You talk about how the song has changed over time. I had someone come up to me one time and said, you know, I'd never been baptized before. And I don't know what religion they were, but they said, I'd never been baptized, but I listened to your song and 
I just thought to myself, man, I, that water that you singing about, I thought you were singing about like being baptized. And they said, uh, it really inspired me to want to be baptized. And they went and got baptized and changed their life with that song being a, a piece of maybe their, their turning to God. Uh, I never thought about beautiful water being a, like in a sense of like, you know, turning to God or that the the water that blesses us, you know, that that God can give us the the well of water that's springing up, you know, as they talk about in the scriptures. But I think it's kind of turned into more of a spiritual song over time than it has just a, a small town song where we just need rain so the crops will grow. It does have faith in the in the lyrics, faith in in God. It really does. You are praying to a God to give us... It really is. It's a song about prayer. And I think uh, whenever I wrote it, I didn't realize how spiritual the song was. I think that I was actually kind of oblivious to how spiritual the song was until I really had other people give me feedback. And I, I just thought, you know what? You know, Lord, send the rain on down. It's kind of like, just kind of more of a thought than it was a plea. And it's turned into more of a plea, the song has. I just can't believe how the the music is really turned into uh, uh, kind of a, an anthem for some people in my small town down in South Texas, especially whenever we're hurting for rain. That was the first song you recorded? Beautiful Water was actually one of the very first songs that I've... No, it was the first song that I ever recorded that I wrote. So that was kind of an inaugural song for me in that sense, too. Now, I lost my, my mother to breast cancer back in 2011, and I didn't record that song until 2012. It was a year after she passed. And I remember sitting in the studio and and we just had listened to Beautiful Water with the full band and it was complete. The song was done. One take. And uh, well, we we had Worked done it. several <laughs> takes, right? <laughs> We'd done several takes, but I just remember sitting there listening to that song once it was done and we'd finished it in the studio with the band with all the effects that we had put into it that we wanted to put there with my voice and the backup singers. And I remember having this moment where I couldn't believe I heard that song with a full band. It came to life for me because I had sang it acoustically for so many years there. And my first thought was I, I picked up my phone to call my mom because I wanted to tell her how excited I was that the song was done and that I wanted her to hear it. And I just for that split second where I grabbed my phone to to call her, I had the realization, oh, she's not here. And I thought, oh man, I, I wish she was here where I could, I could just call her and tell her, hey, I can't wait for you to hear the song. It's done. I know that she hears it and that she's heard us play it several times. And she loved that song and was very proud of the songwriting that, that was done on that. Do you remember where you were the first time you heard it on the radio? <laughs> the first time I ever heard your own music, my beautiful, own music on the radio, beautiful water specifically. All right. Uh, the very first time I ever heard the song on the radio was one of my friends uh, recorded it. I guess the, there's a radio station in Victoria, Texas that actually played it for the first time and said, you know, this is the very first time that John Wayne Schultz will have his original music, you know, played and it's right here. And, and they recorded it for me on the radio because I was with my Marines out in the middle of the desert and I wasn't anywhere near a radio that I could listen to music on. And, and we were, you know, busy doing, doing Marine stuff. And I, I heard it for the first time on my phone of a, of a recording of the radio from one of my friends. And I just thought, oh, wow, I, I couldn't believe that it was on the radio. And here I am in the middle of the desert, not even 
in a place where we have any radio reception. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my experience with with uh, my first song on the radio was was actually being with my Marines and, and wasn't able to hear it. Did you take leave from the Marines to go into the studio, or were you a Marine while you recorded it? Um, I so I've served in the Marine Corps Reserves for. Uh, we're coming right up on seven years. So now. you were in the reserves. Um, and- so reserves. And so I, uh, I have basically a civilian schedule until you train once a month, you know, and we just actually got back off of deployment uh, just about five months ago. And uh, we were overseas for a year, but it was one of those things where I was able to have the time and go into the studio and record everything uh, on my own time. So I was grateful for that. Anything else on beautiful water? Um, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Backstory Song. If you like our podcast, you can become a patron at our Patreon page, where you will receive bonus interview tracks with your favorite songwriters and early release access to upcoming episodes. It is only $3 per month or the price of a cup of coffee to become a Backstory Song patron. Let's just be saying... Well, then unable to mingle Oh, you tell me that I'm perfect The girl I don't want to be Your heart is aching And you tell me you don't want me to leave But my body's saying something And girl, I just gotta be free Kind of man that treats you right About when summer is nigh That warm weather takes me to another place And starts to make me think twice There's nothing I can tell you that you're doing wrong You're perfect as perfect can be You're not gonna like what I will tell you now But it's the best for you and me Just be safe. We're in and able to mingle. Let's just be single. <laughs> Is that a breakup line? Is that the best breakup line ever? Or let's just be single. You know, you know, if you ask if that's the best breakup line, you know, I was listening to the radio, uh, which apparently a lot of people don't do anymore. <laughs> I was listening to the radio a while back, and they said that. Some of the best breakup lines or the number one breakup lines are, let's just be single. I think we should start seeing other people or I just need some space. You know, those are kind of the, kind of the, uh, the breakup line kind of phrases that people like to use. And there are 50 ways to leave your lover. That's right. Paul Simon said. Yeah. And it's not about you. It's about me. Yeah. There's a, there's oh man, there's a million different ways it could be done for sure. This song came with a, a real experience. This was an actual experience that I had to where I was dating this girl from California. It was just, we were on and off with each other for about four years. And that's a long time to be on and off with someone. And we really uh, had a lot of feelings for each other and developed a lot of feelings for each other. And and she is a phenomenal person. One of the very best girls that you can possibly meet. You know, I've I've always been so up and down with that with that relationship. And she's just always been very steady and consistent. And so it was one of these things where I went and talked with her and I wanted to just tell her, let's just be, let's just be single. 
And that's hard. It, it is really hard to to talk to somebody that you you love and you you absolutely revere. And for some reason, you just don't feel like you need to keep going with it, uh, whatever reason that is. And and that was really hard for me to do. And so the I came home from that that talk with her, and then I wrote this song, "Let's Just Be Single." And I was hurting so bad inside of my heart that I just thought, you know, what do I do? I just don't know how to really kind of get through it. And I thought, you know what, I just grabbed the guitar and I just started playing a little melody. And so a lot of the words from this song are the actual words that I used in our talk, in our breakup. There's a lot of lines in the song also that I totally threw in there that weren't part of the conversation. And that's just to kind of make the the song a little more catchy, uh, make it a little more not so generic and, and kind of thing. But the funny part to this story was I get a call after the song was released from that girl. And she said, Hey, I just, I heard your new song. And I said, Oh, okay. Which one? And she said, let's just be single. I said, Oh, okay. And she said, uh, did you write that song about us? Because there was a lot of lyrics in there that sounded awfully familiar. And I said, well, I'll be completely honest with you. I said, that song I wrote about us and you. And after we broke up, you know, I went back home and I wrote that song. And what was funny is for the next 30 minutes, I just laid the phone down with it on speaker and she just chewed me out for the next half hour. <laughs> so I was just sitting there. Just listening to her chew me out and and bless her heart, she she had every right to say everything that she told me. And so after she was done with with uh, giving me an earful, my only response was, so so when are we getting together? (laughs) (laughs) So so when do you want to hang out next? You know? Um, Oh, I I tell you what, I'm I'm so bad. I play all kinds of mind games. It's not great. So we've we've spent time with each other since then. And she's, you know what, she's she's amazing. And she's totally forgiven me, luckily, for the the whole song and everything. And she's told me, you know, don't write any more mean songs. And and I said, yes, ma'am. You know, and a phenomenal girl that's really inspired some fun songwriting. Have you played that song in front of her? No, I have not. No. Um, in fact, we haven't really even talked about it since. Um, since the half hour yeah, uh, on the speakerphone. Exactly. So um, <laughs> that... That song was, uh, was, it definitely got me a lot in a lot of trouble with her, you know, but that's the beauty about songwriting is that you can actually take a real experience and you can, you can put your heart and soul down on a piece of paper and put it into a guitar and you can actually let your heart begin to be mended by the power of music. And that's really what this song was about, was about me trying to mend my broken heart over the whole experience. And I was just so entertained by how things kind of played out once the song was released and she called me and was very upset about it. And, and I'm not laughing that she was upset. I'm, I'm just laughing that I got in trouble for it because, you know, this is something that like you see in a movie guy writes a song about breaking up with a girl. She hears it, calls him and she's upset. And then afterwards you're like, so when do you want to hang out? You know, it's like, come on. It's like that's some Hollywood stuff. I mean, you can't make it up, you know? Every time I date a girl, they always start wondering, is that song about me? Or I hope that song's not going to be about me. And I've actually had a bunch of other girls that I've dated in the past contact me out of the blue and say, hey, did you write that about me? 
And I had to tell him, no, 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 absolutely not. And, and I started thinking, geez, how many girls have I dated? And how many times have I used the phrase, let's just be single? <laughs> and so it was one of those uh, wake up calls to where it's kind of like, geez, you've dated a lot. And there's a lot of girls out there that apparently feel like you need to uh, stop breaking up with them so much. So um, every time I date a girl and the, they get start to get to know me and they hear the song, they just start thinking because they voice it to me, you know, I, I'm never going to be that song. Am I? And I'm like, Oh, I hope not, but we'll see you know, kind of thing. So, well, you know, it seems like relationships get to a point where one or the other, you asks, where is this going? I guess the answer is this is going to a place where we're both going to be single. Right. <laughs> that's exactly it. And that's what this song is all about. Is It's about that. Because right the answer is you're not ready for the commitment. Right. But you can't stay in non-commitment land forever with someone you're dating. It's true. You got to get married or move on. Is that sort of life's, you know, sort of biblical rule? I think it is. And that's the thing that girls have talked to me about whenever we've broken up is, they're like, well, you can commit yourself 100% to the Marines and you do so well with that. And you can commit yourself to, you know, music and you can commit yourself to being a pilot and flying pe people places. And, and, but you can't commit to me. You know, I, I hear that all the time. And, and they're like, I know you don't have commitment issues. You just don't want to commit. And I'm like, you're right. We're finally getting somewhere. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I know. So I don't know. There's a lot more songs that can be written about really everything we've talked about more than just let's just be single. Maybe I just need some space or maybe, you know, maybe we should start seeing other people. It's kind of like that's maybe that's to come. A <laughs> hundred ways to leave your lover. Right. Okay. The jukebox is broke. It only plays country. All these sounds of lonesomeness and whistles. I'ma try. Catching up on times about out of sight and From the corner of the barroom You could hear a lonesome sound That's when my friend stood up And said let's figure this problem out The jukebox is broke So the jukebox ain't broke. Is this your answer to Alan Jackson's Don't Rock the Jukebox? Or what is this about? <laughs> you know, that, that song of Alan Jackson's I grew up playing as a kid, Don't Rock the Jukebox. And it, as a kid growing up, I I remember going into some old places and actually seeing jukeboxes and ones that still worked, that actually would have the arm grab the the old, you know, 
45, whatever they, what kind of every jukebox it was made uh, for at the time. They were and called they were, 45s. That, 45s, That's what yeah. we actually called a single when oh, I was growing up. Oh, there you go. Yeah, see there, see how, see how confused <laughs> I am? It had an A yeah. side and a B side. There you go. Of yeah. the single. It's, so though, I, I remember watching the arm come down and grab the record whenever you selected a song and it would actually place it and then the needle would come on and it would play. And it's these big machines that are just, they're, they're bulky and they're big and they, they, they seem to be just kind of the center of the room. They usually have these neon lights and they're just kind of these iconic things that it's, it's just one of the things that, that like really captures uh, music. And it doesn't matter if it's country music or if it's uh, rock or, or jazz, whatever it is, those jukeboxes are really the, the, they look like the heart of the music in a, in a joint or in a, in a venue. I just remember thinking as a kid, the jukeboxes are really cool. I liked them. I liked them a lot. But, you know, I've grown up in a, in the age now to where, you know, we've got f- music on our phones and you can play them in your car. You really don't listen to radio that much anymore. And, you know, even CDs are something that people aren't really using that much anymore. And the jukebox ain't broke. Definitely not an answer to Alan Jackson's Don't Rock the Jukebox, but it was kind of a, along the lines of wanting to be setting the scene in a place just like uh don't rock the jukebox you're definitely in a in a, a place where a jukebox is present at at the bar or at the at um the place where you're you're at to dance and where the idea of the song came from is i i'm a huge fan of longmire the the tv show longmire and in the very first episode of longmire you'll you'll see the bar owner in that kind of pop up behind a jukebox and he tells Walt, Walt Longmire, he says, you know, the jukebox is broke, Walt. It, it only plays country. And I was watching that show with my best friend and I thought, man, that's a song. That is a song. And it was cool, a little hook line that they put into the the episode. But I looked up if anybody had written a song with that hook line and nobody had. And I thought, you know what? There's a lot of people that are not big fans of country music, but then they end up becoming fans of country music eventually through a friend, or maybe they get their heart broken, or maybe they're very patriotic and they, they hear a country song where it kind of turns their ear and starts to change their mind that, oh, country music is, there's more to it than I thought. And some of my friends have told me, you know, I, I don't really listen to country, but I like your country. I thought that there was a song there for sure. And so the jukebox ain't broke or the jukebox is broke um, is really the title of it. Is a, is about two buddies that are hanging out and and he's just saying, hey, the jukebox is broke. It's only it only plays country music. It doesn't play any of the other genres of music that I want to listen to. You know, it's broken. Then his buddies explaining to him, no, you don't understand. Uh, the jukebox ain't broke. Country music is enough. It is enough to help you mend your heart. It's a, it's enough to help you have a good time. It's enough to help you through anything that you're going through with life. It talks about that archetype of person that maybe sits at the bar who will drown their their sorrows away in country music and letting that kind of mend their heart. And so we decided to write this this song. And my my best friend Brendan and I, uh, Brendan Border and I wrote this song together one day and we we put it together in I think maybe 30 minutes we wrote the song. And we wanted this song to have a really traditional sound to it. This is a Western swing song. Classic. Classic Western swing. And I played music growing up with uh, some of the best Western swing players out there. Uh, David Waters, who was a guitarist for me for a long time. He's in the Texas Western Swing Hall of Fame. Phenomenal guitarist. And he really turned me on to a lot of Western swing. People like Billy Mata that uh, I grew up listening to and knowing. 
you know, Bobby Flores was another that really played a lot of Western swing. And I revered these men and they, they helped to shape me in music. And this song, I knew that it needed to have a very traditional sound and we wanted to make it a shuffle. That two-step and shuffle sound, it's a signature sound of, of Texas honky tonks. We wrote the song with that shuffle and we just made it really Western swing. It's got the twin fiddles in there. And we wanted you to feel like, man, I am in a honky tonk in Texas when I'm listening to this song. We wanted it to really transport somebody into that, that atmosphere in, in their mind. So the two fiddles, very prominent yes. in the song. Tinkling piano keys. There is kind of a saloon kind of sound. A yeah. saloon piano. Right. Yeah. So we really wanted to get the musicians going on this song and, and to really bring it to life with what we were trying to talk about in the song with the lyrics that somebody is kind of being converted to country music. Yeah. So the elements of Western swing, shuffle beat, mm -hmm. tinkling saloon piano keys, <laughs> two fiddles. Mm -hmm. Twin fiddles. Yeah. What it's, else? Is that the core of what you need? You know, I think that country music today, people have a lot of opinions about it. I think country music has more opinions about it now than it has in the history of country music. There's been so many different types of genres that have kind of wiggled their way into country. And I think that we've seen country music really have its face changed uh, in the last 10 uh, to 20 years, um, you know, 2000s and, and now into uh, 2010 and on to now. I believe that this sound really helps to hold on to the roots of country music. I've heard a lot of great new country music that I like, but I grew up with a very traditional sound with my band. And I grew up with a dad who listened to very traditional sound that was in love with people like Merle Haggard. I was in love with people like Johnny Cash and, you know, Ernest Tubb and, and, and all the guys that are just some of the very, you know, founders and forefathers of, of a lot of the sound in Nashville. Well, we wanted to make sure that we grabbed the roots of country music and to just give the the solid, heartfelt feelings that that the shuffle and the twin fiddles can offer and the the ability to have someone hear a traditional song come out brand new. And one of my favorite bands is a Midland that's uh, really hot in the scene right now. And these guys are playing some of the smoothest traditional country music that I've heard, but it's all brand new. It brings a lot of hope to me because I feel like there's not really a place for this song, The Jukebox is Broke, but guys like them are really busting open the door for that traditional sound to come back into Nashville and to have a place and to be credible. I think the only place you see jukeboxes are at the IHOP anymore. <laughs> is that right? Or, you know, they, or do they have them in... You're from near San Antonio and Houston, which is which is close. I, I grew up in the San Antonio area. You call it San Antonio, yeah. San Antonio. You're, that's what you're we call San Antonio. Yes, sir. You're a Spurs fan. You know, I I really haven't followed a lot of okay. a lot of uh, sports, but because um, too busy in the honky tonks. There you go. I understand that, but where you come from, do they still have jukeboxes? There's definitely jukeboxes in a lot of places that I still go to. There's actually a place here in Utah, the Shooting Star Saloon. They've got an old jukebox in there. And we love to go in there and, and put quarters in that thing and pick the songs. And there's a certain sound off of those old 45s that you can't really hear today. Everything is so mastered and everything is so well produced that you can actually take those old 45s, play them, and you will get a tone 
and a sound that is just vintage. And I don't believe that it can be replicated very well with the technology we have. It's almost too advanced to give a lot of that that fatter sound that the 45s could offer with the mix that they put on those 45s. So sometimes one of my best friends, uh, Travis Bishop, who now plays keyboard for um, Neil McCoy, him and I would hook up his old record player that he had bought I don't know if he got it at a pawn shop or somewhere, but we would hook up these old records that we'd find at the pawn shop and him and I. Backstory Song's mission is to help songwriters and their work get found and discovered so they can make a living and keep on creating great songs. The best way to pay a songwriter is to listen to their songs. Unfortunately, with the decline of radio listeners, songwriters who live off royalties do not make the same royalties they used to. Please help out the Backstory songwriters by listening to their songs on our playlist. Share Backstory song episodes with your friends on your social media and encourage them to do the same. By liking and sharing Backstory song on your social media, you'll be helping the songwriters on this podcast. I would just sit late at night and listen to these old 45 records of these classic songs like classic George Strait, or we would listen to some Merle Haggard, or we would listen to uh, some of our favorite, favorite bands that, that were recorded on those old, those old vinyl records. And we couldn't believe the tone we were hearing. And I think that that's something that we should really try to incorporate in the newer country music is trying to get a lot of the older tones that you would hear on those old records to now be a sound that the newer generation can hear. And they can say, wow, that tone came from a long time ago. And it was, it wasn't broke then. And it's not broken now, so why fix it? And that's something that I hope that we can continue to put in, in, in my music is a lot of that, that older traditional sound. So you go into the studio. How do you select the fiddle players and the piano player and the other musicians for this song? You're going for this vintage classic vibe. And how do you communicate that to them or is it just in their blood? <laughs> One of my good friends that runs a studio out in Tyler, Texas, I told him about what sound I have. And I actually recorded the the songs in my own little studio. And I played each instrument in my studio to try to give a little bit of the sound I'm going for. And whenever he heard it, he said, I understand exactly what you're going for. And he was able to actually select the players from around Texas that he believed would be able to give me that tone and give me that sound. And so we we essentially handpicked the people that we wanted for these songs and boy, did they deliver. And I was very happy with what I heard. And I think that's an important thing that whenever artists want to go to record a song, they need to have the right musician to play that number. You know, Brent Mason's one of the best guitarists to ever live. And he's one of the top guitarists in Nashville and he's on so many different people's records and they want that tone. They want that signature sound that Brent Mason can offer. And when you hear him play, you know that's Brent Mason. So, what is it about it that sounds like it? I know exactly what you're describing, uh-huh. but it's a guitar. Is it the type of guitar he's playing, or the style, or how he's a combination of everything? You, you know, it's a good question. Every guitarist has their style. Like yeah. Whenever you hear Santana, you, Santana, you know, play yeah. Eric Clapton, you yeah, know, yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah you can recognize they're playing. They have a certain tone and they have a certain voicing in their guitar that, that really puts a stamp on them. It's there. You can hear it. You know, Brad Paisley, 
anytime I hear, I could pick his guitar out of anywhere. It's, I just know his tone. And, and I love that you can almost hear Brad Paisley in that tone. This sounds like a twang, an American twang to me. And then maybe that's a classic Western swing vintage component is that American twang. But the combination of the elements is beautiful. The, um, the twin fiddles, what is it? What are you looking for when you have two fiddle players playing? What what is it about you know two versus one, you know that that you're trying to expand the sound of that? What are you looking for there? Whenever you put twin fiddles together, in my opinion, it's really hard to not make it sound like country. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things where you are able to bring to life a certain emotion with those twin fiddles. I listened to Faded Love as a kid, which was a song that had been around for decades before I was ever even a thought. And in Faded Love, you hear these twin fiddles play. And I remember the captivating ability of those twin fiddles that I was just drawn to that sound. And first off, a fiddle's got its own tone. But when you put two together, boy, it's almost like you're hearing two hearts cry to you, you know, in a certain sense. And I, I felt like having twin fiddles on this song would be able to really bring forward the emotion of traditional country music that it has to offer. And it's, and it's almost signature, especially in Western swing, twin fiddles were just, I mean, that is kind of the bread and butter right there. It's your meat and potatoes. And people just love to listen to the fiddle. You know, I mean, even Alabama said, if you're going to play in Texas, you got to have a fiddle in the band. And, and they're so true. You got to have that tone because those people want it and they love it. You use the feeling of lonesome mm-hmm. in the song. That seems like a classic vintage idea. Yeah. Talk to me about being lonesome in, in a song. <laughs> you know, with all the songwriters that you've been able to get to know and interview and, and uh, have on your show, I think that they all can concur that being lonesome is one of the best places you can be to have creativity. And um, I think you need to take those opportunities when you're heartbroken or whenever you're sad or you're lonely to make it a creative experience or a creative opportunity. And in my life, I feel like I've missed out on a lot of opportunities where I was heartbroken and I could have written some great music, but I kind of chose to not do that. And I, I regret it. And now that whenever I feel a certain emotion with, if I'm going through something in life, it's amazing to me how, how much emotion inspires songwriting. I'm sure you can agree with me that real experiences in life make the best songs. And you love hearing the backstory to songs, mainly because you, you understand there's more to it. Where did this song come from? A lot of, that's what I ask myself whenever I hear songs is, I would love to hear the backstory to that song because somebody went through something and they had a certain emotion going on and they were able to write this tune. And I would love to know the backstory. To me, that is the most satisfying thing with with songwriting is that you can literally help someone else feel your emotion or help someone else get through their hard time because you can now allow them to relate to you. And they say, man, I understand exactly what that guy's saying in that emotion. And I'm right there with them. So there's a evolution of the protagonist in this song. 
Right. Tell me what happens to him in your head. The story of the song, the guy that is saying, hey, the jukebox is broke. It only plays country. He becomes converted to country music by the end of the song. And he realizes, holy smokes, this this genre of music, it speaks to me. It's patriotic. It can heal a broken heart. It can relate to me. It can drown my sorrows. And it can help my heart cry whenever I've been, you know, just completely broken up with or relationships ended. And he realizes, dang, country music is good for me. It's right for me. And at the end of the song, he the lyric changes from the jukebox is broke to the jukebox ain't broke if it only plays country. You know, he he kind of becomes a believer in country music. And and I, I wanted to write that because I felt like there was some of my friends who I've actually watched convert to country music and become country music fans. Not that they have left another genre that they're faithful to, because if you look at my playlist on my phone, you'll be surprised at how many songs on there are not country. I would say not even 50% of my playlist is country. He added the the genre of country music to all the songs and music that he likes and can see now that it's something that he can he can uh, really relate to. So in the Marines, did you convert anybody to become a country music fan <laughs> in this way? You know, in the Marine Corps, there's been a couple of Marines that who are also musicians that I've been able to serve with. Um, that are, the Marines like country music. This is- oh, Marines love country music. <laughs> okay, good. But, Let's but, make that clear. <laughs> but there's but there's also a lot of Marines that that don't, and they're they're more into metal or or uh, hard rock or or uh, hip hop. No, yeah, all kinds of rap. different genres, uh, R and B. Um, but there there has been a couple of Marines that I've known that said, you know what, I getting to know you has helped me to like country music more, and they. I think the more they got to know me, they would they would realize, you know what, this is, this is an all right dude, and he plays country music, and they'd actually listen to my music, and they'd say, knowing you and hearing this music, I feel like I can understand it and relate to it, and they have kind of become country fans over the deal. So, so that's really cool. That's really so cool their jukebox that. ain't broke anymore. That's right. They're, their jukebox is getting bigger. They're putting more records in that jukebox, so that's good. Thank you for listening to Backstory Song. If you like our podcast, you can become a patron at our Patreon page, where you will receive bonus interview tracks with your favorite songwriters and early release access to upcoming episodes. It is only $3 per month or the price of a cup of coffee to become a Backstory Song patron. sun every morning packs his lunch he's out the door three young kids and a lovely wife working hard just to give them more he's had long days in the beating sun sweating with a big old grin calloused hands and a humble heart he'd wake up and do So my good friend Pete, who I wrote 
hard to keep a good man down for. He was actually riding in a in a truck on a ranch down in South Texas, and he was looking at it with a real estate agent. And they're just looking at all this ranch land, and he was thinking about buying this ranch. And my friend Pete told the the real estate agent, he said, "This is totally off topic of what they're doing." He said, "You know, I got a." friend of mine who plays music and writes songs and I love his music and he's great, but I just wish that he could play on a bigger stage and get to know some people in high places and all his that, friends are in low places. Right. All this <laughs> yeah. All my friends are in low places, I can tell you that much. <laughs> but aren't we all we all have friends in low places. But he told that real estate agent, you know, I I just love to see him on a bigger stage and, and he said, you know what, I have a friend in San Antonio who owns a dance hall, Cowboys Dance Hall, and he said, I let me call him and see if he would have him come play. And that guy has never heard me play before, but he's he just trusted Pete. Whoever this guy is, he must think highly of. So they called up to Cowboys Dance Hall in San Antonio to a guy named Mike Murphy. Mike Murphy ended up hearing me sing, and he said, you know what? My friend Keith Stegall in Nashville needs to hear this guy. So he called Keith, and next thing I know, Keith's on a plane flying from Nashville down to San Antonio, and he watched me play in the Cowboys dance hall for a Wednesday night college crowd after I was done Were you playing. nervous? Oh, you know what? I, I don't normally get nervous ever with really anything in life, but boy, was I a little nervous because I thought this guy has made Alan Jackson who he is. He's worked with George Jones. He's worked with Zach Brown band. He's had hits recorded by George Strait. Like this guy is the guy. I just thought, I can't believe this guy's wanting to listen to me sing because who am I? I'm just a little kid from South Texas who loves to play country music and I'm nobody special. He listened to me play and after I was done and I got off stage, my manager came back and she said, hey, he wants to meet you. And so I walked over and and there Keith was and and he shook my hand and he said, I want you to come to Nashville and let's write some music. Let's get your feet wet. And I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he invited me to do that because I thought about all the other talented people I've seen in my life that's very worthy of that invitation. It's an amazing thought that with music, you never know what's going to happen. I've always been the kind of person where I've never had the mentality of I'm going to do music full time because that's the dream. I'm the kind of person that's like, nope, I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket. I'm going to become a pilot. I'm going to serve in the Marines. I'm going to learn how to train horses. I'm going to make sure I have several different ways that I can make money. And uh, Besides be Uber to, driver. Right. Besides, <laughs> yeah, I, maybe I can do that. <laughs> but I wanted to make sure that I, that I was able to support and take care of a family one day because that's my number one. A lot of people ask me, what's your number one dream? And, and they would guess that it's music. My number one dream is to be a, a good husband and a good father. And if I don't accomplish that in my life, I haven't accomplished a thing. And so music is just something that I've always thought if it can be an opportunity, you know, the Lord wants me to do this, then I'll give it my best shot. And so I've done everything that I can possibly do, Doug, to not have a career in music, but it keeps coming back to me. I literally tried not to do it and I can't keep it away. And so even, You've been on American Idol twice. I've been on American Idol twice. I uh, did that for my mom. I would have never done that on my own. I did that <laughs> as a favor to her. So tell me, so, what did you play at your American Idol tryout? What did I sing? Yeah. Um, I sang a song called Believe by Brooks and Dunn, mm -hmm. and which was really neat because after I had sang that, they had actually posted on their Facebook page and 
Instagram, you know, check out this awesome rendition of a believe by this guy on American Idol. And I was over the moon. I couldn't believe that, that, that they posted that on their social media account, that people should go listen to me sing believe. And I thought, Oh my gosh. And I just thought, no, I'm not worthy of that, you know, but how cool was that? And who were the judges there? On both seasons, I'll tell you all the judges. Um, the first season was uh, Randy Jackson, uh, Steven Tyler, and Jennifer Lopez. And then the second time I was on American Idol was uh, Jennifer Lopez, Harry Connick Jr., and Keith Urban. So why did you do it a second time? You know, they American Idol had sent me an email and let me know that they were doing the last season. It was the finale season of American Idol on uh, Fox Network. And so... Uh, they sent me an email and said, Hey, let's, uh, you know, we're doing the final season. Um, we, if you want to audition, we'll put you through, uh, all the early auditions and get you straight to the judges if you want to do it. And we want to make the last season, the best season. And, and I just, I saw that email and I was like, Oh, next, next email, you know? And I just, had, I paid no attention to it. I thought, no, no, absolutely not. Been there, done that. Yeah. Been there, done that. And I told my sisters on the phone, I said, you know, the craziest thing I got a email from American Idol said, I should come back and, and try again. And and they said, well, why don't you? And I thought, oh, great. Here we go. <laughs> so I ended up going back and uh, I ended up making it the same spot that I made it the first time as the top 40. I was grateful for that experience. Do you, what was the song you sang in the second? I, I sang, uh, oh, let's see, what did I sing? Uh, the Dance yeah, right. by Garth yeah. Brooks. Yeah. And that's out there and, and uh it is it's people, widely viewed. People can look it up. It actually has, uh, I was the second most viewed audition on the final season of American Idol. Uh, it was something like 18 million views yeah. or something like that. And I can't even get a girl to look at me once. And that, there's a whole bunch of people on the internet that are apparently watching my audition. So. <laughs> maybe you <laughs> should you sing go. the dance for the girl. Yeah, there you go. Maybe I'll just change my tactics a little bit. I've um, been asking all the, the songwriters when they write a love song and you didn't give me a love song. Oh, I haven't even written a love song. Yeah, I've written yet. a love yeah. song yet. Okay. <laughs> That's probably why. Yeah, okay. All right, fair enough. <laughs> you know, when you write a love song, you know, was it about someone? And, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, it was about my wife. And I said, you know, when you brought it home to her, what did she, she say? And they're like, eh, you know. <laughs> like they generally don't have much so far i want to i want to get a good story out of out of one of you songwriters right. on a love song where the wife or the girlfriend said you know, your girlfriend said we got to get married tonight let's right. fly to vegas or something you know? oh i've had a couple of those that i haven't but, written a song about it maybe you but, just inspired me maybe we should write a song together a love song together? about going to vegas to get married in yeah, the chapel that, that of love ex- that's exactly get married by elvis yeah there's a song in there somewhere no I, I am uh, I'm always Elvis on Halloween. Are you really? Oh yeah, and then I, I and I do my own impression of, of the king. You know, uh, that's great. Do, do you know? Someone told me this that there's eighty thousand people on their IRS filings who file as their occupation Elvis impersonator. 80,000. 80,000. <laughs> like, like, you don't know where like, there's a lot of Elvis impersonators out there. Are you kidding me? I don't, I think it's a joke or it might not be true. I was going to say, I don't <laughs> think there'd be, I wouldn't even guess that there's 8,000. Like, but like a lot of people don't really have a job. So what are you going to write? And they write Elvis impersonator as like, I think a gag oh or, or something. Cause yeah. there can't be that many Elvis impersonators. Uh, that's a lot. I, I actually started writing a play called Camp Elvis. Oh wow! Where you go to? You go to Vegas. It's actually a movie that I was writing. You go to Vegas and learn how to be an Elvis impersonator, 
Oh, it's wow. called Camp Elvis. No kidding. And you, wow. and and they train you, and like everybody goes out and and you know, on the strip, and it's kind of like. And then the hangover came out, and then it, and then, so they kind of did right. that. Yeah. So do you have one of those nudie suits with the cape and everything and all that? You know, my kids cut off the legs to make it fit them for oh, one of their Halloween wow. no parties at school. And I, I actually today, because we're here in, in mid late October, I was at the guitar center. And the store next to it was Spirits of Halloween, one of those temporary pop-up big box you know, yeah. thing. And I went in to get a replacement Elvis outfit, and they didn't have an Elvis outfit. Not a, not it, a single one. Not in that one place. in the costumes. That's un-American. I think that is. I Absolutely. think that's, that, that should be criminal for, for a Halloween store to not sell an Elvis outfit. That's like one of the most number one like Halloween costumes you would find. Like here's the most like in, uh, in San Antonio. Find oh, in, I would say anywhere in, in America, in, the most typical thing you'd find is like okay, what are we gonna look at? We see a ghost, we see a pumpkin. There's an Elvis, Elvis. outfit and yeah, Michael Jackson's next to it with exactly. a glove and and right. you know the 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 red sequin shirt. Exactly. I you know, <laughs> maybe there's fewer Elvis impersonators today. Wow. <laughs> Maybe you know, so. Then there used to be. Maybe so. They, maybe everybody quit and now they're. Maybe over in Asia, there's probably a ton they, of them there. Who do they impersonate now? Michael Jackson, I guess. You. I've seen quite a few Prince. Prince impersonators. The Prince now. impersonator. Yeah, yeah that's the. He's the new Elvis. Yeah, he is the new Elvis. He's, People like to dress up like him. And, yeah, oh man. Yeah, purple rain yeah. stuff. You know, big collared stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been a true pleasure and I look forward to hearing you play. Uh, oh man, Doug, thank you so much. You, you're a wonderful man. And yeah, you uh, are too. Thank you for giving us a chance, us songwriters to have our voices be heard with some of the songs behind, or actually some of the stories behind the songs. And that's a phenomenal thing.